Hey everyone, before we start this episode of the Listening Podcast, I wanted to share some unfortunate news. Sean and I have decided that this will be the last ever episode of the Listening Podcast. Not enough listeners, um, and it's becoming harder and harder to dedicate the time to do it. Um, also, we wanted a good April Fool's joke this year, so April Fool's, none of that was true. Let's start the show. It's the Listen In Podcast. We are back again in the studio. Episode 66, Jake. Route 66. Ever heard of it? Get your kicks. That's right. Down on Route 66. I have heard of it, and um, yeah, ready to go on this new episode here, Sean. (laughs) Right down Route 66. Right down Route 66. So we actually, we we have a pretty packed episode to get to. Thank Um, you for saving me there, by the way, because I was about to try to like do some kind of segue, and now I'm doing it, uh, where you take Route 66 into Phil Elverum's heart. Oh, which well, did, ooh, yeah. Ooh, good thing I saved you from that. Yeah, you know what we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna cut that. We're gonna cut that part out. We're gonna edit that out. All right. So first, let's let's dive in. Let's dive in. Yeah. We have a lot to get to. Um, first segment: hot thoughts. This doesn't feel like the most apt no, segment no. title for what we're about to discuss. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. So it's actually a little inappropriate, <laughs> especially when you spell it. T-H-O-T-S. <laughs> yeah, for a couple reasons. <laughs> okay. Hot Thoughts. New record that came out this past week. Got a best new music from Pitchfork. Got a first our first 9.0 review of the year. That's right. This is the new Mount Erie album, A Crow Looked at Me. It is all about the death of... What's his name? I think it's Phil Elverum. Phil Elverum. His wife, who yeah. died of cancer, who was also last like a musician. She was like a musician and artist. Yeah, her name was Genevieve. Yeah, something. So this album um, obviously deals a lot with death and loss and the aftermath of that happening in his life and him kind of picking up the pieces. What his life is like. They have a what one year old daughter, I think, yeah. is the and, and this is referenced kind of a lot on on the album. Um, so you and I both listened to this. Yep. The day it came out, usually what ends up happening on Fridays, New Music Friday, is we're at work, mm-hmm. so we're checking out what albums to listen to. And texting all day about new and albums. And will be like, oh, did you listen to this yet? This is pretty good. Oh, I, was, I didn't like that too much. So we both listened to the new Mount Erie pretty early on in the day on Friday. I got two songs in, and I texted you, and I said, I need to stop listening to this because it doesn't feel right to be listening to this album while I'm at work and other things are going on and it doesn't have my full attention. Mm-hmm. Because even two songs in, I was like, this is a emotionally devastating album yep. that I, in good conscience, just can't really listen to right now. So I, I put it off. You, I think, you you powered through. You got through it. Yeah, I soldiered through my first listen last Friday and realized that I shouldn't have mm. because I it's... The sadness on the album and the way in which it's delivered is so basically pummeling and yeah. it's nonstop and it's really, really honest. No holds barred sadness about it. I mean, the first song is called Real Death. Right. And the whole premise is death is real. There's no poetry about it. It's not like interesting. I don't I'm not learning something from it. And like I, I I'm just sad. Yeah. And this hurts. And I sat there and listened to the whole thing. I got about halfway through and I was like, probably should stop listening to this. But at that point, I had committed. And 
I was just found myself like sitting there while I should have been working, just sort of staring into the middle distance, like listening to these lyrics. These, I almost compare it to Sun Kill Moon in a way where yeah, I've seen a lot of comparisons with Benji, where the lyrics are so they're almost stream of consciousness. They they sort of overflow the usual amount that po like poetic justice would usually allow. Like there's more lyrics than sort of the music lends itself yeah. to, and but. Um, it, and it's so honest that it's just, it's honestly, it's overwhelming. Yeah, when I was listening at work, that first song, uh, Real Death, I caught the last few lyrics at the end where he just goes, it's dumb and I don't want to learn anything from this. I love you. And I was like, fuck. Crushing. I, I had that moment where it's like, if I weren't at work and I were in a different context, I would start crying. And that's right. I I had to stop listening to this album, so I, I didn't revisit it the rest of the weekend because yeah. I knew that I it, just, it wasn't the right time yet. Finally, it was Sunday night. I was I was in bed. I wasn't quite ready to go to sleep. I was like, this is a, actually a perfect time to listen to this. So I put this album on. I come back to Real Death, the first song on the album, and I didn't even hear this lyric or this set of lyrics the first time. And the way that this hit me just ruined me. It, it is, I'll, I'll read it to you now. It goes, I go downstairs and outside and you still get mail. A week after you died, a package with yes. your name on it came. And inside was a gift for our daughter you had ordered in secret. And collapsed there on the front steps I wailed. A backpack for when she goes to school a couple years from now. You were thinking ahead to a future you must have known. Deep down would not include you. Though you clawed at the cliff, you were sliding down, being swallowed into a silence that is bottomless and real. I started crying. Yeah. I, I, I cried at the thought of him stumbling across this package. And I'm like like feeling things right now just talking about Me too, it. Yeah. Of him coming outside to this package that he didn't know was coming addressed to his dead wife and it's a backpack for his for their one-year-old daughter who's going to be going to school it kills in a me. few years it, I, I, I i couldn't take i just i started crying and that's not something that easily happens usually right. if i feel that coming on i have to like lean into it this was all of a sudden it just immediately happened and it colored the rest of my listen to it and like you said it is it is pummeling and emotionally devastating and it was like no other music listening experience that i had ever had i i honestly sat there or laid in my bed just kind of dumbfounded at the fact that did you continue to cry during the no that was the, the one time that i like actually cried but i was just like I, I i felt myself laying there with my mouth just sort of open yeah in shock at a that someone could experience this could feel this much pain in their life and then turn it into such raw and honest artwork. And what's interesting is that that part, both times I've listened, that's hit me like a ton of bricks too. That's one of the most affecting moments on the whole album. But what's interesting is that as as harsh as that is and as hard as that hits you, it's actually one of the most poetic moments on the whole album. Yeah, the, the, There are parts where it's just like, he's just dealing with the harsh realities of what happens when someone dies. Like, like there are parts where... He, I think there's one lyric where he's talking about 
how it's a summer it's a summer day or something and he's like and I'm throwing out your underwear right and it's like dude like that's such a specific like crushing detail to, and he's talking about giving her clothes away right because he had to and he can't close the window in the room where she died or, or something like that because he, he thinks you know you just yeah. can't let go of that something right. might still have to leave or whatever yeah. Yeah. and when he's talking about I mean just all that stuff there's one other I was trying to think of that it's not coming to mind but whatever there was, the case there was one to me and I, I forget what the exact lyric is but something about the feeling of this is like we we're walking down the logging roads or whatever and like it was about his daughter too and just something I don't I don't even know what it was about, but something about the imagery that he was talking about yeah. was so detailed. It just, it just like he really painted the picture well. Another part that kills me is when he was talking about when she was alive, and he goes, "We," he's like just reminiscing basically about all the walks they would take to her appointments. Right. He's like, "Until you got too weak, and we had to take the car." Right. Oh, and it's yeah. like, like basically, the the first time I listened to this was at work. And the second time I did was as well. But the second time I was prepared for what it was going to be and, and kind of got myself ready and was able to somehow enjoy it a little more than that first time. The first time it was too much. Yeah. I was like, I didn't, I, I, could, I, I realized I'd made a mistake by listening in the wrong context and just committing. Yeah. And, I, but I, I, I think this is one I will revisit more and more, but it won't be as often as some other albums. And that, that's kind of the, what I wanted to talk about with the rest of this, because honestly, like, we could go on and on about the devastating lyrics that are on here. Yeah. Um, this is, it's a hard album to listen to, I think. And, that, and just really quickly, that was generally my point, is that a lot of the descriptions and a lot of the things, and that's where the Sun Kill Moon comparison comes yeah. in, is like, a lot of what he's saying kind of goes, it, it transcends poetry and is just like basically, like when you were reading that just now, it kind of just sounded like a diary or like a mm. half poem. Mm -hmm. But anyway, sorry, I cut you off. What I wanted to talk about with this is how does the subject matter of this album and the fact that it is so sad and difficult to listen to, how does that impact your relationship yeah. with the album? And how many times can you realistically listen to it and how does that change your perception of how quote unquote good it is? Or, you know, we love to rank things here, which doesn't seem fair in this context, yep. but this is going to be something that ends up on a lot of end of the year lists. But I guess let's start with how many times can you actually listen to this? I can't put a number on it, but I think that what you said is a great point. And I think that when an album like this comes out, it really does poke some pretty serious holes in like the way that we and a lot of yeah. music writers and people who just spend time thinking about music operate it pokes some huge holes in it because like the real answer to that question in my mind is like there's different ways to appreciate different types of art and, and different modes and moods of art and this is something that is not meant to be enjoyed the same way as like a pop rock album we might be into right um or a, a, just a general pop album we right. might like so for me, I've listened one time. I want to listen again. I do. It has to be in the right context, yeah. though. I really can't see myself listening to this a ton. Like, right. like maybe five times throughout the rest of the year when I'm in the right place for it. But that I don't think affects how good it is. I think a big part of it is the emotional reaction that you have to it and i think if there's an album that on the f the first song of the first or second time you listen to it makes you cry that 
is a pretty powerful piece of art and I think is deserving of the high ratings and scores that it's gotten yeah. and will be well represented on end of the year lists um deservedly so and i think you could kind of make a a parallel in some ways and it won't be perfect but you if you want to make a parallel to movies or something like schindler's list is a great movie right i can't watch it i can't just pop on schindler's list you know whenever right and expect to just go on with, that, that's, with my day that's normally. not one where you know it's a weekend and you're like ah, i just want to like Curl up with a movie and relax. You're not putting on no. Schindler's List. You're getting in a certain mindset. You're carving out time to like be in your own little emotional bubble. Then you have a movie like Goodfellas or like The Departed or like a crime movie or like an action movie. You yeah, you throw that on any time. Yeah, and that is where it gets really difficult to say like which is better. Right. And I think the answer, as kind of non-committal and centrist as it is, is just they're both great for different reasons, right. which isn't exciting and it's not like, like that's not a headline, right? But before we move on to our next uh, album we want to talk about. Which is a huge departure it, in it's mood. It's so different. It also is, deals with death. It does. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, is A Crow Looked at Me the saddest album you've ever heard? And if not, what are some of the other ones in the conversation? So that's a good question. And the one I always think of when this comes up, and I, I only listen to this album like once or twice, is Hospice by The Antlers. I was going to bring that up as well. That has a lot of similar themes about cancer um i think what makes a crow looked at me more sad than that is i don't think hospice is based on any sort of real life situation i think what um is happening on that album is it's a comparison the cancer is a comparison to the deterioration of a relationship okay so that gives it just from the bat it removes some of the sadness from it it is still very sad there's some incredibly sad songs on it i think this one blows it out of the water well, the only other one i was gonna say was benji actually there's some moments on benji it deals so much with death yeah that is similar to this but i think overall the entire experience i don't know if there's anything else that i've listened to that's that's as sad as this like carissa when he's dealing when he's talking about the fact that he didn't really know her and yep. the whole thing about give and get some hugs another part that always kills me on that album not to go too far down that album's rabbit hole so to speak but is the part where he's talking about when he got egged on into punching that kid yeah. in the schoolyard, yep. just some kid who got picked on or whatever, and like that really hits me, me every too. time. But I think what it is about this album, and I haven't listened to Hospice in a long time and really almost can't speak to it because it's been years. Um, but this album uh, by Mount Erie is so much more just raw and confessional. Yeah. And there's no, he's not beating around the bush about anything. There's really, like, and it's like what he says. The opening line of the, the first song is like a thesis statement for the album. He's like, death is real. And it's like, he basically says, like, it's not poetic mm-hmm. and you shouldn't write songs about it or whatever. And that kind of serves as the thesis for the whole album because he's like, I'm not dancing around the fact that this sucks and is hard. And like, I'm doing my best to create something out of it. Yeah. But it, it's not It's not maybe what you're going to expect. Yeah, that, that first line, death is real, someone's there, and then they're not, and it's not for singing about, it's not for making into art. That feels like something that, like, that's like a thought you have and just write in, like, on, like, your notes thing on your, your phone or something. That's That's so just, like, out of the brain onto paper. And I think this is really easy to attack, too, because it's like, well, you're doing that right now. It's like, that's not the fucking point. Like, he knows that. He knows that that's a hypocritical line in a way. And I think you nailed it. He's like, this is a thought in time, that stream of conscious lyric writing that he's doing, where it's like, this is so beyond any... 
sort of 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 idea of art or, or or turning death into like this beautiful thing it's like this is just what i'm thinking and feeling right and now. he's speaking just in simple thoughts the idea someone's there and then they're not like yeah we like in some ways that's not a big revelation at all but in, in other ways it's like that actually just is the crux of it right that's just what it boils down to is like that's the most confusing thing about death i think especially if you lose someone ahead of their time which certainly was the case right. here with she was a young woman still and that idea of like, oh, they're just not there anymore. I I get the feeling that's the most confusing thing about death right. at all. Is it's just like, oh, like I can't. And there's so many lyrics on the thing about just like his rituals and the stuff he like. He'll hear the door open or mm-hmm. like he he's looking for her in certain places. Like that is fucking devastating mm-hmm. to me. It and is. it's like that's just what. It, it, and there's just simple truths like that all throughout the album. Yeah, it's, so it's, I highly, re- I highly recommend. I, I do to too. I do too. I would recommend to do it in the right situation, though. Yeah. Give give this album the the space and respect that I think it deserves. Quick thought that I I wanted to bring up but forgot. Um, interesting, and maybe not even really planned that this album came out during the spring. Right. Do you think that this album would almost be too much in the fall? Like, oh my god! Like, yes, yes. I feel like yes. if I heard this during the fall, as like literally, like the leaves were falling and stuff, it would. Be, I Dude, maybe couldn't handle. And it. you know what's crazy too? I think there's direct reference to the fact that where he's like, it's been two months yep. or three months since you've died or whatever. Like that is in the fall, and so much of the imagery on here and the feeling of it feels like a wet, cold fall day, like October day. Yeah. It would be way too much to handle if it came out in the fall. Yeah. I, I don't know if that is intentional or it's just like the album's done. Let's get it out. Yeah. I, I don't know, but still, because there's I, that li- I agree. Because there's that lyric. Because she died in the summer, right? And there's that. There's two lines of thinking of one where he's like, "I opened the window so you could breathe." Yeah, because it was like so hot or whatever. And then he's like, he's also talking about how it's autumn. It's like the first new season without you. Yeah. And it's like that it, it stuff is just so heavy, man. And it's like and so I was thinking about the fact that this feels very much like a fall album. It's still having an impact in spring. And you know what? Maybe we think about this more than other people. True. I don't know how much other people are listening to True. this and be like, oh, this is really more of a fall album um, <laughs> that I can yeah. drink with my pumpkin spice. But um <laughs> you know. Anyway, I just thought yeah. that was interesting. No, I, I think that's a great point. Um, let's move into an entirely different album now. We're going to delicately transition here. Yeah, so this is one that also got really, really good reviews that kind of came out of nowhere for us. This is a punk rock, a goth punk rock record. Horror punk. By a band called Creeper, and the album is entitled Eternity in Your Arms. So from what I understand, Jake, (laughs) this is a concept album. That tells a story about a paranormal investigator. Um, also, go on. I, also, the band's entire look is exactly what you'd think for like yeah. a, a goth punk band. Yeah, it to the point where it almost seems like it's a joke. Right. I don't know what to make of their entire look or what this is about or the entire. Like, brand. Their brand. The actual album cover is Creeper in these big goosebump, like, blood-dripping letter words or font with this, like, neon green and purple, 
like cityscape that looks like it's right out of a, an R.L. Stein cover with this dude in like a purple uh, trench suit, coat, it looks, or trench yeah. coat, standing in the street. It's so all stereotypical of what you would expect from a goth punk band named Creeper. It's full on an album where if I just saw the cover, I would I would like laugh at it, and I would expect right. that I never would like it. Um, but having listened to it now, I really like it. I, so yeah, this is. I went into this, and the first couple times I listened, I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know if it was the craziest, most over-the-top piece of trash that has come out this year. Right. Or if it was the album of the year, to be quite honest with you. I, I oscillated between those two takes on it. The aote. Um Yeah. I, so here's the thing. is like it, This is a concept album, like you said. I think that I'm sort of bad at listening to concept albums because for me, I've been enjoying this, I think I've listened four or five times, completely removed from mm-hmm. the fact that there's a concept here. I honestly, I, I know that it's this paranormal investigator, that's the story, but what I'm taking with is just the melodies on this album, the harmonies that the, the two singers are doing. And just the, it's like such a fun listen. Yeah. That I, I mean, it's almost like Green Day with American Idiot. Like yes. with that, I mean, I know there's a story in quotes on that album. I feel like this is a concept album in a similar way that that is, where it's like the story is sort of, it, it, it's it's there, but it's it doesn't matter, and it doesn't really make sense. There's it doesn't, no, it make doesn't any fucking sense, and it doesn't follow a ton of narrative structure or form. Um, but I, I've been stricken by a couple of things. One. This album, like, its production and overall sound reminds me of, like, mid-2000s punk and, like, pop punk and even some forms of mid-2000s alt metal. Mm, yeah. Like, yep. th- the first song, Black Rain, which is, I think, my favorite song on the album or one of my top three, has a chorus with an, a give-and-take sort of call-and-response between a male singer and a female singer that just reminds me of Evanescence straight mm-hmm. up. It's not the same. There's no rap in it. There's no rap rock. Wake me up. Wake me up inside. I can't wake up. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to just be... Trust Tree, love that song. Oh, it's great. No qualms with that song. I would, I would listen to it right now. Black Rain's a great example. That's the song where I oscillate the most between being like, this is awesome, and being like, this is too much. I love that song, dude. And I think part of it is if you just, with this album, are willing to just say, this is too much, and I'm just going to like it. That's you, you've won the battle there because right. you just have to have fun with Creeper. Right. It's, it's so obvious they're not. I mean, they're t- maybe taking themselves seriously, but that is also part of what's funny about so it. So this, this is what this is what I wanted to talk to talk to you about is I can't tell if this whole album and their whole vibe and shtick is slightly tongue in cheek, and this album concept and their look and feel is the vehicle to deliver this awesome rock music, or if they're actually all in on this concept and they take it seriously. I I, can't, I think they're taking it seriously, but part of my enjoyment of this album is the fact that this is almost like a sampler platter of different rock music. You have punk in there. You have some emo. You have some metal. You have some stadium rock. You have even some, like, folk balladry in here. There's so many different things happening and they seem to be nailing every single one of them. It's almost like they were thinking, okay, we want to do all of these different types of rock music. The vehicle we're going to deliver it in is this goofy concept album by this band called Creeper and we're going to play up this whole look and feel. But at the same time, 
I think they're being completely serious about that whole look and vibe, and and, and they like totally buy into it. I think that sometimes with bands like this, that line between tongue in cheek and totally serious is unclear even to them, and I think that it has to be. Yeah. Because I don't think a band like this or any band that like has some high concept in the way they perform and present can really. I don't think a band like that can survive or exist or become popular if they're too conscious about mm. that. I like to me. They do take it seriously, but I have a feeling they probably know what's funny about it. Right. And they probably know that it's weird and theatrical. And that's where another thing that's so interesting to me, you mentioned all the different genres that seem to be um, intermingling. That's not a word, I don't think, on this album. Um, and to me, like, there's a huge influence from glam. Yeah, like 70s yeah. glam. Yeah. Like parts of it remind me of, and I've only seen this movie once, so this could be off base, but like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Right. Where like... There's these sort of single... It, it feels like very over-the-top theatrical. And I, I was thinking earlier, it's really funny that music like this is now what we would comfortably call punk. Right. This is so far removed from what like the pioneers, the founders of <laughs> right. punk were about. Right. If you listen to any of the earliest punk bands, it's, so, it's interesting because it's like punk has been around long enough now that its life cycle has span to the point where it has kind of done a full circle and just become a different genre entirely yeah. and, and it just it actually mixes with a bunch of others it's like fast-paced rock that's slightly aggressive because like, has become punk exactly because you i mean that actually i think you could even date that as far back as london calling even mm. because london calling it's nothing like this but it's like that's a concept album where almost none of the songs or like maybe less than half really have the traditional hallmarks of a punk right. song Absolutely. And dating back to that, and then in the mid two thousands, like punk was so wildly like varied in terms of what it sounded like. You had bands like Blink One Eighty Two, and then you had a band like My Chemical Romance, which is more like this, where you could realistically call them punk. I, I get big My Chemical Romance yeah, vibes out of this. Exactly. And there's certain lyrics on here where it's like, you guys can't be serious with some of these. Like I, I like Misery. That song Misery is a great example. It's one of my favorites on the album, actually. Yeah. But, like, the whole chorus goes, if you could see the wreck I am these days, you'd have new reasons to stay away. Just hold my hand for a little while. Misery never goes out of style. Well, like, and, and the way he sings it. It's amazing. Well, but the way he sings it is also, like, this almost, like, cliche of yes, the mid-2000s. Exactly. If you could see the way I am these days. Like, yeah. that really, just, and like, guttural. And it's the catchiest shit ever. And it no is. one writes songs like this anymore. And that's the thing. It teeters on the brink of, like, you know what you're doing. If you are internalizing all of these influences that you clearly have, you have to know that it's lame as fuck. But you also have to know that the songs are awesome. Right. So, like, there's that constant push and pull, I feel like, of you have to know what you're doing, but at the same time, you don't care because these songs fuck. Yeah, and there's actually two ways you could think about it, where it's, like, either they are not self-conscious of what they're doing and they're... They are just sort of a dumb rock band that really thinks this shtick is really cool. Or if you want to give them a ton of credit, you could I'm say... I'm giving them a ton of credit. You could say that they, in fact, are genius because they realize right. that everything in rock is said and done. Yep. They realize there's really nothing you can do that's original. So if you're going to own all these different styles, be as over-the-top and theatrical and just tongue-in-cheek ridiculous as you can... Maybe that's what's happening here. And that's why I love this album, because I really think that is what's happening. And even if it's not, that's how I'm perceiving it. Yeah. So that's I don't care. The, 
I think seeing Creeper live would be cool. It would be it'd be so much fun. It'd be awesome. I don't really know like what they're about. honestly when I first opened their Spotify page, I was like, I can't who what is this about? And the thing is getting great reviews. I, I'm really this is one where I'm interested in feedback from listeners because yeah, I think I think yeah. we have listeners who kind of run the gamut in terms of yeah. what they'll think of this. Yeah. I'm curious what different thoughts I will am be. too. I really want to hear from people because I think there's certain songs that people will love i think other ones people might not so i yeah i'm really interested to hear what the listeners say about this you know how we talk about guilty pleasures yeah and how usually we say we don't care we'll say we like or dislike anything and we don't care this is a band where if i'm in the wrong company i will just keep quiet about about creeper like i i have to be in kind of the trust tree with people who i think will also get it yeah. I'm not gonna be like, oh yeah, I fuck with Creeper. Like I just be like, oh, like okay, yeah. I'm just not gonna like talk about that. You know why that is? I think the same part of my brain that is excited, where like synapses are firing by Creeper, is the same part of my brain that loves System of a Down, <laughs> that loves Green Day, that loves some of those My Chemical Romance songs, mm-hmm. and all of the like what are now cringe-inducing mm-hmm. mid two thousands punk or metal. Mm-hmm. Lincoln Park. It's the same part of that my brain where I'm like. I know this is considered lowbrow and like stupid, but I'm just gonna listen to it quietly to myself because right, it brings right, me enjoyment. Exactly. Like this isn't an album I'm necessarily gonna pop on no. at like a big friend gathering. I might play like one song here or there. Just, just to like gauge just to gauge how people react to it. But yeah, this is one that I'm probably gonna keep closer to the vest, which is too bad. It is a little bit too bad. And the problem is is that I what I'm realizing more and more is just people take music so seriously mm. they, people really do I mean we have a fucking podcast about it so. I, I get that I get that and I mean <laughs> I, I, I understand the irony in me saying that what I mean is even removed from that it is kind of a shame that people don't just have fun with music more often and if you sort of admit to liking some of these bands that might be a little more kind of crazy from the perspective of a serious music listener you can really get like laughed out of the room. Sometimes. Oh, absolutely! Like, and that's so stupid. That I, really is dumb. It, it's very dumb. I tweeted at Ian Cohen about this uh, like last Friday. I was like, "What are you?" I, I was like, "What do you make of this Creeper album?" And he goes, "It's." I was like, "Is it awesome or way over the top?" He goes, "It's over the top as fuck, but I'm glad it exists." So it's like even someone like Cohen who goes to bat for yeah. albums like this like can't get down with. Here's this. a thought I had earlier today too. At work today, I brought up. Africa by Toto. I yeah. swear this is related. And some of the guys in the office who are like a generation older than me, but I can just tell based on their vibe that they like are a little more serious about the music they listen to and just the art they consume in general. They're like, that song sucks. Like, I hate that song. I think part of what's happened is that that mentality was born out of that was an era where you couldn't escape certain songs you mm. couldn't escape certain like pop rock i mm-hmm. think that and that continued until the 2000s like with yeah. mtv and with just radio before the era of totally personalized music all the time there were songs where, that would just get crammed down your throat and whether it was the genre or the type of music you want to be listening to i think that's where that sort of music snobbery even comes from yeah it's the idea of like fuck this song because it's everywhere and everyone loves it and i understand music better right and i know that this song actually sucks there's just I really think there's less of that now. I think so too because I think we're so fragmented in all of our interests and what we listen to. You can only ever hear what you want to listen to right. if you want. Like yeah. you don't have to hear the top 40 pop songs anymore if you don't want to. And I think a lot of that's going away. You can just pick and choose what you want to hear. 
Exactly. And it's, it actually goes back to what Stephen Hyden, Big Shout, Big Friend of the Pod, on Celebration Rock has been talking about with Pearl Jam mm. with the album 10, where he was like, look, this album was just everywhere. Right. And it really started to annoy me and a lot of people yep. because it, like a lot of people who didn't like music, quote unquote, loved this right. album. I just feel like today there's less of that. Like there are the monoliths, the Taylor Swifts, right. and like, you know, Rihanna, Kanye West, the the biggest of the big. But there's less of that middle ground of just songs you hear all the time. And everyone's true. listening to the same yep. one or two stations. Absolutely true. Absolutely um, true. But and so Creeper is something where I think this is just a band where if you're inclined to like this at all, you're going to seek it out. I agree. Because there's hooks for days on this so album. So many. So many. Um, but yeah, I, let's. I'd love to hear from the listeners on this because yeah. I think we're both really enjoying it. What are your hot thoughts? Um, yeah, let us know. Uh, all right, March Madness bracket time. We are it's back. up to the elite eight here in our best guitarists of all time. We're gonna do. We're just gonna get to the championship. We're gonna wrap it up today. We gotta get a coin. Oh, get a coin out because you know, you know, we're gonna get some coin flips I'm here. Trying not to make this too loud. No, it's okay. It's it's authentic. Okay. So um, okay. So actually, no. We're gonna have your choice here, Sean. Oh, okay. Okay. What do we got? Okay. On me. We've got a commemorative. Oregon quarter Ooh. from they're uh, in the final four, so that could be good luck. That's not bad luck from 2005. Okay, or okay. we have a standard, old-fashioned um, quarter from 1993. We're going Oregon. We're going quarter. Oregon. We're going okay. Oregon. See you later, um, 93. All right, so our first matchup in the Elite Eight. It's the final matchup in the 50s and 60s region. We have Jimi Hendrix, our one seed, going up against Eric Clapton, our two seed. Heavyweight bout. I I think it's Jimi Hendrix here. Two I, I just thought. like Jimi Hendrix better than Eric Clapton. I like Jimi Hendrix better too. I want him to win. The argument, the devil's advocate would be Jimi Hendrix flamed out and died young. Ah, that's true. And if you're who lasted longer, Eric Clapton, if you're gonna make that a corollary corollary to the tournament. Yeah. Clapton outlasts him. I'm gonna I'm gonna vote Hendrix. I am gonna vote Hendrix right. too. So H- Hendrix goes to the final four. He's how like, how sad is it that in this tournament, Clapton can't even buy a coin flip? And like I, and McCready's going to the chip, and Mike McCready <laughs> might sneak in. All right, what do we got in our 1970s Elite Eight? 1970s, we have Jimmy Page, one seed Jimmy Page versus two seed Jeff Beck, who no one's ever listened to a song. Who has of. somehow got to the Elite Eight over many other guitars that we love. We just haven't. You, you can't take anything away from him because you don't know what he's about. That's the problem. Is he? he <laughs> he's, he's, you don't yeah. know what his deal is because you've never heard any of his guitar That's playing. It. So the big storyline here is a matchup of the old Yardbirds guitarists. Yes, yes. People forget that they were both in the Yardbirds. Exactly. Um, it's got to be Jimmy Page here, right? Well, yeah, I don't know what Jeff Beck thought he was doing. No. Coming into a Led Zeppelin house as just Jeff Beck and thinking he was going to win. He but did he, he didn't win. come correct. No, he didn't he win. He lost Big. He got blown the fuck out. He did. There, out there, there's some <laughs> Jeff Beck fan who happened who's to like, hear this. Damn it. Who's like, this is bullcrap. <laughs> He's like, he just is so mad that we just arbitrarily eliminated him. It's like, you know what, dude? At least he got this far. I know. You're lucky he made it to the Elite Eight. Okay, 1980s region. We have our, again, one seed, Eddie Van Halen, going up against our two seed, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I thought there were more coin flips than the... I thought there, there were, were more, more coin flips, but there weren't... The way it shook out into the Elite Eight was like... It was chalk. You know what I think there what it was? There were some upsets, but... I think in these three brackets, um, or these three regions, there were a lot of first-round coin flips, but then it just all came out in the wash, yeah. and, and it went chalk and by also, the end. And also, the, the thing is, 
the top the the one and two seeds are so strong it's you almost can't yep. even eliminate them at all this is an interesting one. This is tougher. So you have two differing styles of yeah. play here. You have really technical with Eddie Van Halen versus very, very soulful with Stevie Ray Vaughan, but also a, a, a powerful technical player as well. So from my perspective, I haven't listened to a lot of Stevie Ray Vaughan. I sort of got into Van Halen in high school at the height of me being into classic rock. Yep. And I was pretty in on some of the stuff happening with Van Halen. I was kind of blown away by it because when you're 15, that's... Eruption. That's cool. Yeah. You think that's the coolest thing ever. Based on that, I'm my vote's going with Eddie Van Halen here. I, I just on the type of guitar playing I like more, I'm going to go to the coin flip Okay, on this. I, that's fair. I think that's fair. Stevie Ray Vaughan is Tails, the Oregon side of the coin. Yep. And uh, Eddie Van Halen is represented by George Washington. Heads. Tails. Tails. Stevie, Stevie moves on. Ray. That's fitting because we're using a, an Oregon coin. Oregon just made a miraculous run to the NCAA Final Four. Also, Tails has held sway throughout the tournament. It has. It has been. Big time. I want to say, like, if we've had, say we've had 20 coin flips, I think maybe 15 have been Tails. I would agree. Uh, that's, like, about the ratio we're, we're dealing with. You want to lay our 90s, yeah. 2000s Elite Eight matchup on us? So Here's your upsets that you were looking yeah, for. Yeah, here's the upsets. So if in the 60s, 70s, and 80s you we went all chalk, we did the opposite here in the 90s, 2000s. We have, uh, I have to actually look at their seeds, 12 seed Mike McCready of Pearl Jam going up against 7 seed Annie Clark of St. Vincent. Yep. Yep. Uh, so this so, is interesting. Now, really quick, I'm just going to recap. Yeah. Yeah. Mike yeah. Mc- Who is Mike McCready beat to get this, here? Because this is what they do on like CBS or right. whatever, or, or TNT or whatever the hell channel they play the tournament on. They'd be like, now let's take a look at their road to this point. Mike McCready has upset so far on his way to this <laughs> to the Elite Eight. He upset Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead. He upset Kurt Cobain of Nirvana, and he upset the one seed Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine and, more importantly, Audio Slave fame. <laughs> Annie right. Clark upset Jack White and upset John Frusciante. Uh, oh, and he, I missed one, and she beat Kurt Vile. That's right. So she uh, had an easier road. She did. Mike McCready, Annie Clark. I've been pulling for McCready the whole time. I'm the sole reason why he's gotten to the Elite Eight. You are. You are. I... I, I I almost want to just say Mike McCready again and get him to the Final Four. I'm not. I'm going to say Annie Clark. She, I, she's cooler. I think she's just better, more talented. I'm going Annie Clark to the Final Four. I'm going Annie Clark all okay. the way to the okay. bank. <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not take a chance on that one. <laughs> okay, it would have been really funny to have Mike McCready yeah. in the Final Four. but It already is interesting that we have, we have two one seeds, a two seed, and a seven seed. I feel like that's accurate to how the Final Four will play out most years. You'll get yeah. a couple one seeds. And like one and mid-range then, yeah, seed. Yeah. All right, do you want me to start with the six yes. seed? Yes. All right. Oh, no, actually, this is well, the this final, is the four. final four matchup. Yeah. This is to see who goes to the national championship. Final four matchup number one we have from the 60s region, Jimi Hendrix going up against 70s, Jimmy Page, Battle of the Jimmies. And, and this is honestly, this is basically the championship because whoever wins this is it's, going to win it all probably. Yeah, more than like unless um, he goes to the coin. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know. Let's. You know what? I, I'm going. I'm going Jimmy Page here. I like Jimmy Page and Led Zeppelin more yep. than Jimi Hendrix and the Jimi Hendrix experience. You can't deny the influence that Jimi Hendrix has on every other conventional list. Jimi Hendrix is number one. Mm-hmm. I personally 
like Jimmy Page more. Yep. I'm going Jimmy Page here. I'm going to go to the coin. And I I'm think gonna, that, and that's fair. And I'm, that's fair. I'm going to tell that's you why. Fair. It's a couple things you said. One, he may actually be better. He had less time to show it than Jimmy Page. Also, um, I don't have an also. I let's had another go, point. Let's go I don't have it. Let's see but here's the thing: here. these are both one seeds. Let's go. I think Hendricks is the true one seed. He was the one seed throughout the regular season. He was undefeated in the regular. You're trying season. to get him on heads. He's heads. Jimmy Page. Most people would say. I'm not even trying to, right, to right. finagle this. This is when heads is going to hold true, though. He's the true. Okay, so we got Hendricks at heads. Jimmy Page tails. Jimmy Page is an Oregon tails. What do we got? Tails never fails. Give it to me. Tails. Yes. Jimmy Page moves on. That okay, but yes. that was like a triple overtime throw. Yeah, it, oh, it was. Oh, it was. It and was. you know what it was? Is Jimmy Page had more stuff to to sort he of did. to he pull, did. pull upon. He did. That's not a phrase. Uh, all right, Jimmy Page is on to the national championship. We have Stevie Ray Vaughan coming out of the '80s, the two seed going up against Annie Clark, the seven seed from the '90s, 2000s, and today. Uh, I have listened to more Saint Vincent, more Annie Clark. I like her more. Mm-hmm. I'm picking Annie Clark here to, to miraculously get to, do, to the championship. To be the upset. Yeah. To face Jimmy Page. Yeah. Um, I think, just in fairness to Stevie Ray Vaughan, I'm going <laughs> to take gotta, it to gotta the gotta coin. Gotta go to the coin. I think it's the only fair, fair way with this. Fair enough. All right, here we go. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan's heads. Yep. Annie Clark is tails. Tails has been kind. Tails. Yes! Annie oh, Clark. my God. This is... People are probably going to think we are bullshitting. With this, we're not. And let me tell you, I can't think of a more Sean championship than Jimmy Page versus Annie Clark. The coin flips have seemingly gone only my way throughout this entire tournament. Yeah, it's been all your favorites. So we have a national championship round of Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin and Cinderella story Annie Clark of St. Vincent. Yeah. The Cinderella story thing was not a, like a half-baked sexist joke. Right, right. That would be pretty fucked. I I know that, and I was going to make a joke about that, but I, it was I'm, like that's not even worth it because it's so. I feel like I could, I could feel obvious. it coming off yeah, your lips. It's ugh, just, I I'm going Jimmy Page here. Yeah, in a tournament <laughs> determined by by pure chance, and in some cases just like bad luck, Jimmy Page wins. Yep. Probably he was. Like the consensus one seed other than Hendricks. Yeah. And I think it's fair that he outlasted Hendricks in terms of he had more material. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I will say if Jimi Hendrix had beat Jimmy Page in the Final Four, Jimi Hendrix would have won this. He, I think you would have wanted to do a coin flip. No, I would have just picked. I, I promise you. Because you've always had a little Jimmy bit Hendrix. of a bone to pick with Hendrix. I know. And I, I know. really think you would have just been like, Hey man, Crosstown Traffic, great song. It is. A little bit strange, not as 1985, great. a mermaid I turned to be. 83, that's where the rhyme ah, lies. You're right, shit. Yeah. It's all right. Hey, you know what? Didn't, well, didn't live to see 1983. Jimmy did Page not. did. So That's true. Point, point Jimmy Page. Right. What did he do in the 80s that was interesting musically? Uh, he was in that super group, the, the Format or the Foundation. or The Format's the band that Nate Roos of Fun was in before he was in Fun, so uh, I don't think it was the Format. That'd it, be a, kind of a step down for Jimmy was, Page. It uh, was... Hmm. Sounds like he had an illustrious career throughout Jimmy the Page 80s. Jimmy Page Supergroup Google. Um, 
Mm. Oh, dude, actually. A little bit of bad radio here for The you. Firm. The Firm. Sorry. He was in The Firm, man. Uh, who could How could you forget that? Who could forget Chris the Slade firm? was in that. Paul Rogers from Free and Bad Company. Sounds great. Here's, the Firm. That sounds... So he was in two super groups. He was Jake. also in The Yardbirds. Three super groups. Yeah, there you How go. How many super groups was uh, Jimi Hendrix in? Zero. One. Oh, the really? Hendrix Experience. Oh, really? Was that a super group? Well, fun fact, Sean, um, Mitch Mitchell, or wait, yeah, Mitch Mitchell, the... This is kind of a stupid name. Drummer, you're really dumb, uh, has said that he was the creative force behind the I Hendrix heard that. Experience. I heard that. And it's like, Absurd. dude, no one on the planet believes you. No. Because there's just there's just no chance. But hey, Jimi Hendrix not around to defend himself. You know what, so it, you know what it was? This it was, dude can just run wild. So with actually, his opinions. fair is fair because Jimmy Page was sort of the creative leader of Zeppelin, and from what it sounds like, based on Mitch Mitchell, Hendrix was riding coattails <laughs> on the way to success. So maybe it's not a surprise so you know Hendrix fell yeah. in the final four. He went dancing, but the jig was up. Jimi Hendrix really, when you think about it, is just like a mid-major. Actually, you know what this is? This is actually great because this is another example of how life actually seems to go, which is that the white guitar player who's appropriating <laughs> blues wins out and has a more successful and monetarily yeah. Yeah. Uh, illustrious career than the black that, guitar player right. who probably has it more in his soul. That's right. Uh, fair is fair. So that was our... Biannual, not biannual, our second annual yeah. March Madness bracket. We'll be back next year with another one. We got to think of something else because we're kind of running out of ideas. These are too conventional. We need to do something yeah. that's like a little more out there. We could do albums. We got to do. Year. We got to do a category of album. We got to do like saddest album of all time, or like, or or something along those lines. Let's let the listeners give us some ideas. And listeners, let us know what you thought of this bracket. We've gotten a little bit of radio silence on it. Because <laughs> it, 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 it kind of sucks. It kind of feels like an echo chamber. <laughs> it kind of feels like we're just doing it's, it. It's not It's not the best. I've um, actually had more fun with this than last year's. Oh, me too, actually. It's, the yeah, coin, me too. The dude, coin flips are funny. The coin is, you know what? It's just impartial, fair, two-face, Jake to shoot in there. That's right. <laughs> uh, let's move on to our monthly segment that we have. We do at the end of every month. We do monthly fireside chat. Ah. Uh, so March is we coming. We should get a crackle oh, sound Oh, that's a good effect. idea. I wonder that's if they have idea. that in here. I'm going to let our producer, Jake, figure that out. Oh, yeah. He'll probably he'll have yeah, to do that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to let him do that. So monthly fireside chat. March is coming to a close. So we're going to kind of assess the month that was. We're going to assess where we're at with the month of, with the year in music. So let's start out. What was your favorite album that came out in March, Jake? So first off... Um, March packed month, strong month, pretty st- strong. The strong fir- the f- back. The, f- the first really strong month of the year, um, and you know some might call foul on this, but I think it's fair. My favorite album of the month was Sorority Noise's new album. You're not as blank as you think. Um, yeah. To me, it was an exciting step forward for them as a band, and also I'm just like proud of Cam and happy for him. That is also my favorite album of the month. Call it bias. Call it the media bias. Yeah. Uh, the leftist media. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, we're friends with with Cam, big friend of the pod. Still, even if it we weren't friends with him, this would still be my favorite album of the month. Me too. It was a packed month. I think March actually is historically when you see a lot of the big releases coming out. I think people kind of wait until March. Um, we had, you know, real estate kind of disappointed a little bit a little bit a little bit spoon did spoon stuff spoon did spoon stuff for sure drake was a nice surprise this month it was a very pleasant surprise which leads me to the next category sean yes uh what was your favorite song of march hey 
I'm Blem for real, man. Drake, Blem. You might just say how you feel. I might just say how I feel. Blem. This is my favorite song of the month. <laughs> It'd be funny if you were like, dude, I'm Blem for real. I might just say how I feel. Passion Fruit <laughs> was my favorite song of the month. No, it's Blem for me. Uh, it's for, Blem for real. For for all the reasons that we discussed on last week's episode when we talked about Drake. Um, this is going to be one that I play for the rest of the year. It's going to be one of my favorite songs of the year, I think. It's Blem. So what about you? What do you got? There's another one, an honorable mention that I considered but ultimately didn't use, which was what's that perfume, perfume yes. you're wearing? That oh. sandalwood. It smells so good. Bum, bum, that sandalwood. A little bit of Jin's Lechman. <laughs> yeah. um, not my choice. I am going with Leave the Fan On from that same Sorority Noise album. Um, not the conventional pick from all the polling and talking to other people I've done. It doesn't seem like this is as on people's radar as... I seem to like it. I think that the maybe more obvious and possibly more objectively right choice is No Halo or Disappeared. Yeah. Um, but for me, this has been my favorite on the album. It's one more. The first time I heard it, I was immediately just taken by the vibe of it and the way it builds mm-hmm. and sort of the crescendo at the end and the cool sort of art arty lyrics that um, Cam is laying down on it. So yeah. that ended up being, I think, my favorite song of, of March. Nice. Uh, so let's wrap up Fireside Chat. I want to get your thoughts on where we're at so far with the year in music. So 2017, where do we stand right now? What What are your thoughts? I think we're on pace for, surprisingly, a better year than 2016. I'm with you on that, it's, actually. It's been strong. Yeah. I'm looking at each month, and like there are a bunch of albums I really like from, from all three months so far. Me too. Um of the year. I'm I looking at February, I see Dirty Projectors, which I haven't, you know what? I haven't returned to, though. I gotta be honest with that album and say that I I liked it, and I like Dirty Projectors a fair bit. I haven't really gone back. I liked it more when it first came out than I did in subsequent days and weeks, and the, I'll tell you why. I started to get a little uncomfortable with some of the subject matter of that album, the way he's talking about... About Amber Kaufman. Amber Kaufman. Like, keep your name... Um, I, I understand that some of the lyrics on that album, he's actually speaking to himself. Right. Where he's like, what you want from art is truth, what you want is fame, something, something, now you can keep your name. It just sounded really, like, petty in a way. Or, like, misogynist or something. Yeah, and especially with the comments that Amber has come out with since then. She's I like, didn't read I them was, yet. She's like, I was surprised to hear about the new... Dirty Projectors album and like the subject matter of it. Well, and it's never, first of all, it's like having two friends who break up. Mm. It's never fun to like have to hear both their perspectives right. on it and like, you're like, oh, big surprise, they're basically the opposite. <laughs> right. Like the other person sucked. Oh, oh, no. Oh, you're saying that person sucked. And I think that's the nature of breakups though, yeah. is I don't, you know, right. no one is blameless in it. No. Um, for the most part. And I think it's, it's just really hard and no one, no one's perfect. So, I think this is a perfect situation where that holds true, but it doesn't necessarily make me feel comfortable with some of the lyrics still. And I haven't really, I like a lot of the songs on it. As a whole, though, I I, I don't think it's as strong as we initially thought it was. It's yeah, it's. I think what it is is it's just not something I always want to listen no, to. No, no. Um, Moshe, here's where we buried the lead here because from February. Common as light and love are valleys <laughs> oh, red God. as blood, or no, or red valleys of blood. <laughs> here's here's a question: What's been the strongest month so far, and what's been the weakest in it's, your mind? I, I think it's easily March has been I the strongest too. month because when you look at March, even though we didn't necessarily love um, 
Real Estate or Spoon. Those were still decent albums. You had Sorority Noise, which is one of my favorite albums Drake of the year. Drake helps carry it Drake over Drake was a big one. Mount Erie and Creeper are two good compliments to it as well. I think it's March easily is the strongest month. And so the far. Shins got more Throw love. J Som too. And the know? Shins got more love than we gave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I think I think uh, March has been the strongest month. Weakest of the year was so probably far. February. Yeah, I would say that. I would say that. Uh, before we move on, what what would you say your album of the year is right now? Um, that's a really good question. I'll give you the ones that are up there. The ones that are up there for me are. Um, Definitely Julie Byrne, Sorority Noise. Um, I'm going to be honest. Foxygen. Nice. Okay. I fucking love that album. And big friend of the pod, Josh, I I love him for his honesty here. Came up to me when he saw me recently. He was like, Jake, I I don't like that Foxygen (laughs) album. And I was like, you know what? That just means that I was right about it, which is that it's not for everybody. It's not. I've listened to it so much, dude. I love it. I see the appeal. Yeah. I don't love it. I don't dislike it. It's just it's there, and I'm not going to return to it. Um, I love that that is in your top three, though. Mine, it's somewhere I, in there. I also have Sorority Noise and Julie Byrne up there. The Menzingers is also really, really high for me. If I were to continue mine to a top five, they'd be in there, too. Um, and I guess the reason I brought up Dirty Projectors is I would have thought it would have landed in the top five. I don't know, though. And it's not. There are others no. I'm enjoying more. Yeah. Um you know what is is up there for me too is Cloud Nothings. Cloud, yeah, Cloud that Nothings. has been one I've just continuously you know returned to. Don't sleep on Japan Droids for me. I Japan Droids I still yeah. will get down with as well. That's that's top five for me right now. Honestly, top top five, top five, top five is probably compilation. Julie Byrne, um, the Menzingers, Sorority Noise, Japan Droids, and Drake in no particular order. Yeah, that's probably my top five. It's been a strong start to uh, to 2017 so been. far. It has been. Uh, let's move into our last couple of segments here. Uh, we have a trust tree slash huh? What? We both kind of have the same yep. one here almost in a way. Yeah, so my trust tree I think logically comes first, and it's this. And I was realizing this um, when I was flipping through the record bins at Newbury Comics recently with big friend of the pod, Kevin. Big shout. Um I was flipping through the Pink Floyd section of vinyl, and I realized, I was like, I'm a pretty big Pink Floyd fan. I love animals. I love Wish You Were Here. I love Dark Side of the Moon. But I have kind of a trust tree, which is, I've never listened to The Wall. Not even once. I've never listened to the whole thing. I know Hey You. I know some of the songs. Hey You. Out there in the cold, blada 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 blue. <laughs> I've also listened to I Love Comfortably Numb. It's one of my Comfortably favorite Pink Floyd amazing. songs. But I've also only listened to Piper at the Gates of Dawn maybe twice, mm. and to be honest with you, couldn't tell you how most of the songs go. I have listened to The Wall like one time, and really? this actually informs my my trust tree, which is that I'm not really a big fan of Pink Floyd. I've never really been able to get into them. A big part of that, I think, was that in high school, when I was getting into classic rock, I was huge into Zeppelin, I was huge into like that more yep. straightforward rock sound, and I was like, oh, I'm going to listen to Dark Side of the Moon and The Wall because that's just going to be more of this. And it's not. It's really not what is appealing to someone who's way into Led Zeppelin. Not in high school. Um, and I just wasn't ready for it. Yeah. When I have gone back and listened to these as an adult, I've enjoyed them more. But it's still never been to the point where I want to keep listening or love at all. However, I will say, mm-hmm. Wish You Were Here... And animals 
are both really great. Those are the two albums that I would say I like more than Dark Side of the Moon or The Wall. Dark Side of the Moon is just so played out. You've heard it's all the cliche, songs. Yeah. You've heard every song from it to the point where if you ever listen to classic rock radio, you know like more than half the album. Right. Because if you really think about it, like Time, Us and Them, Money, right. like Eclipse, all those songs are staples on rock radio. A, an album like Animals is refreshing, and that's my favorite Pink Floyd album. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of a sort of a, a weird pick, Sean. I don't know if <laughs> a, you know. A nuanced it's, take. Yeah, no, that's such. I just feel animals. Like animals is awesome though. The guitar solos that are happening on that album, on, like are dogs unreal. and Unreal. And that is true of stuff like Wish You Were Here and um, I, I guess The Wall, even though I haven't listened to it, and uh, and Dark Side of the Moon. But the thing about Animals is it's it's actually kind of a departure in sound. It's less purely atmospheric and like stereotypical Floyd. It's really, really dark. Yeah. It has this like super eerie mood about it. Yeah. The whole thing is this whole political commentary Roger Waters drummed up about comparing capitalism to Animal Farm. Right. So doing the opposite of what Orwell did. <laughs> right. He did capitalism with pigs and dogs and sheep. Here's the thing about Floyd. Roger Waters wanted to write scathing political commentary. David Gilmore just wanted to lay down color. <laughs> that's that's the mantra of this podcast. With his guitar licks. Right. And, and honestly, that's what I kind of come back for. Absolutely. Is, is that's my, that's my favorite part. Yeah. I owe it to myself to go back and listen to those albums more. I just know I'm never going to love them the way other people love them. It bums me out a little bit, but I'm willing to just accept that. What honestly happened to me with Floyd, what had to happen was I needed to have a new appreciation for animals for me to like revisit the albums that surround it that are more popular in a new light. Yeah. Because w- that's without, what I need. Yeah. Without that, that wouldn't have happened. Right, and that's yeah. what it took was animals. And also that album murmur. No, not murmur metal metal metal. Yeah. Has some really, really interesting stuff on its second half. Yeah. That is like very experimental and really, really cool. Um, that's worth checking out. Nice. So nice. some Floyd trust trees. This yeah. Week. Not yeah. sure that that's what anyone would have expected. No, no, I don't think so. Uh, let's move into everyone's favorite segment, and by everyone I mean Jake and Sean's favorite segment. That's what uh, really the show is all about. Two truths and a lie. So it is the 20th anniversary of OK Computer by Radiohead. Mm. So at first I was just going to do a Radiohead two truths and a lie. I was like, there's too much to even unpack there. Yeah. We're just going to go OK Computer specifically. Okay. And this is going to test my mettle as, a, uh, as right. a Radiohead fan. That's right. So for anyone who isn't familiar with the game... I am going to read three different statements. Jake has to guess which two of them are true and which one is a lie. We have both guessed correctly the past two weeks. That's right. So let's I got yours. Put it to the test. You got mine about Drake right last week. You yes. got mine, about, and I got yours about what was the one before that? Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac. Was it? Yes, it was okay. Fleetwood Mac. Yep. All right. Uh, all right. Radiohead. OK Computer. Two truths and a lie. All right. Hit me. Number one. The song "Exit Music" for a film is about Romeo and Juliet and was specifically written for the Baz Luhrmann film Romeo and Juliet, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Number two. In interviews, Tom York has specifically pointed to the jazz fusion sound of Bitches Brew by Miles Davis as an influence on the direction he wanted to take for OK Computer. Number three. The original album name for OK Computer was Palo Alto, due to the city's close proximity to the technology hub of Silicon Valley. Hmm. That's good. So number one, exit music for a film, Romeo and Juliet. Number two, Tom York 
cited Bitches Brew as an influence on OK Computer. And number three, the original name of OK Computer was Palo Alto. Okay. So my thought process as I'm going through it, I'm pretty sure the first one's true. Okay. Um, I think I saw that on something on Pitchfork last week. Okay, okay. So very similar to the Drake thing where I Googled Drake's dad and you had a question about Drake's dad. Yeah. Okay. But the Palo Alto thing feels like something I've heard before. But I feel like I've also heard the Bitches Brew thing Ooh. or a Miles Davis thing. Ooh. Interesting. Uh, what could it be? <laughs> what could it be, Jake? Bad radio. Bad radio. What could it be? Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, so I think I'm going to go with. Oh, man. Three, two, I one. feel like it's going to be like. Buy. Buy it now. Buy it now. <laughs> Okay. Shake my hand. Shake my hand. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> um, okay, I'm gonna go with. Um, I'm gonna say Miles Davis is a lie and that that was true of Kid A or something. Uh, no, you are incorrect. Damn. You had the first one right, Romeo and Juliet. It was. It was correct. That was made for that movie specifically. Bitches Brew was an influence on I OK Computer. I thought I read that. What you probably were reading about Palo Alto is that that Palo Alto is a B-side of OK Computer, and it was originally named OK Computer. It had nothing to do with the album name at all. They basically uh, took that that name yep. for that B-side song and made it the album name. That's a good one. That's a good lie. That's the, yeah. the This was, I think, one of... That was, I think, your best batch yet. I think so, too. I'm, I'm, I, I, was, I'm, I was happy about I'm that I'm proud one. of that yeah. one. Radiohead lends itself to trivia like this, big and the, time. The messed up thing is you should always just go with your gut. You should. Yes. Because... This has happened to me the, a couple times. The Bitches Brew thing, I know I saw that on yep. this Pitchfork liner notes thing yep. for OK Computer, which is also where I saw the Romeo and Juliet thing. Mm -hmm. You know how they've been doing those shorts? Yes. Liner notes? And I saw that, and I was like, wait, but none of this album reminds me of Bitches Brew. Maybe it's something else. Maybe mm. that was Kid A, where they're more explicitly pulling on right. sort of some of that jazz influence. Um, no, Trust your gut, listeners. You got me. That's the biggest, um, that's is. the takeaway from this. That's the takeaway from this meeting. So speaking of OK Computer, we have our final segment, Recommendations of the Week. Yeah. What do you have, Jake? And that was a good segue because mine was going to be OK Computer. Um, because I recently re-listened to it, and basically my thought was like, I still love that album. Anyone who hasn't should revisit it. But I decided on another album to recommend, which is Amnesiac, mm. which we were discussing earlier today. We both gave that a listen today. Um, I just think it's an album that gets sort of, when you think about Radiohead, it gets lumped into the category of B-Sides album or something mm. where it's like because it's a companion album to Kid A it came out second in 2001 Kid A came out in 2000 they're from the same sessions and so people have this idea of it that it is this lesser than album or that the songs aren't as strong they weren't cut out for Kid A when in fact I was reading about it earlier they had so much material for Kid A they had considered putting out a double album at the time Ooh. or just releasing two albums yeah. and they decided that's probably too much because what they're doing is so like dense right. and different. They're like, let's just release this as a separate album. Yeah. And I just think there's some songs that like Pyramid Song is undeniable. I love yeah. You and Who's Army. I love um, 
what it packed like sardines yeah. in a cr- I like really like all the songs. I on this do album. too. I think it's like really it, good throughout, and it just gets a bum rap. It does. It 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 frustrates me when people write that album off as like you said a B sides album or not as strong. It's like no, okay, it's not OK Computer, it's not Kid A, it's not one of their quote unquote masterpiece mm-hmm. albums, but it's still pretty fucking good. And it's not even close to their worst album. No, um, it's really strong. It's like it's right in the middle. I figured, and that uh, right in the middle Radiohead album is awesome. It's it better like, than what a lot of other artists can do. It would be a lot of bands' best record. Exactly, exactly. So my recommendation of the week, I have "Hounds of Love" by Kate Bush. This album came out in 1985. It was very highly recommended to me by Ian, big friend of the pod. Big friend of the pod. Um, so we have both been spending some time with this album, yeah. and it is—it's like nothing I've ever heard before. It's at the same time incredibly poppy and catchy, but also theatrical and experimental at the same time, and that makes sense because, from what I understand, the first half of this album is—is is what Kate Bush calls the "Hounds of Love" half, where it's mostly pop songs, conventional pop songs, and then it goes into the second half which she calls the ninth wave and it's supposed to be this mini concept album that does have a narrative arc which i guess the arc the narrative of this is that it's about this woman who finds herself on the water or like in the water for a night and is visited by people from her past to like keep her awake and from not like not slipping like asleep and like drowning in the water or whatever the first time i heard is it Waking the Witch? Or waking waking the Witch. The first time I heard where that second half goes... Wake up. <laughs> wake up, love. <laughs> yeah. Where at the end of... We go, like Halfway through it, there's that like monster yeah, voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what the fuck yeah. is this? Especially after the first two minutes, which are so like... Like, soothing. Dreamy. And, yeah. Soothing. Honestly... This album's been killing it for me. It's so good. Ever since you recommended it to me over the weekend, I've listened to it like probably three, four times this week. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. It's awesome. I put this part here. Over here. And there's that like, this probably makes no sense to listen to. But if you've heard it, you're like, fuck yeah, Jig of Life. That's my shit. Dude, this album, honestly, I recommend it too. It's so good. It's so good. So I had three recommendations of the week. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, so let us know what you think of Mount Erie. Let us know what you think of Creeper. Um, and let us know what you think of the year in music so far. Is it is it better, worse than 2016? What are your favorite albums, favorite songs? Hit us up on Twitter, at ListenInPod, and we will be back next week. Couldn't have said it better myself. Good night. Bye. It was something that they could be listening in the morning, Sean. Good night. Cover the morning. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good night. We're on. Okay. Um, quick story. I and this is not really that interesting, but today at work I had one of those moments that I think everyone can relate to where I walked to the bathroom to take a whizzer okay. and I've never heard anyone call it that like a like a, a, a leak okay just say that oh a, a, a whiz <laughs> okay okay a whizzer whiz kid um <clears throat> and upon inspecting my pants i realized my zipper was down
And I really have no frame of reference for how long it had been down. Actually, here's a question. Was it down or did you notice it down when I was home for lunch? No, didn't notice. Because, and this is what I was going to just bring up, was how many times are people actually looking at your crotch area to notice that? I don't think it happens that often. Not often. And luckily, if I think back, it's like I got back from lunch. I don't remember going to the bathroom, so it honestly must have been down from lunch. I probably walked back to work with the zipper down, and then we went right into a meeting at one. And I think that I was just sitting for all of yeah. that, and then I went back to my desk, then went to the bathroom, and then I identified that my fly had been down. This is riveting stuff. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad we were able to piece together the timeline of your fly being down. Yeah, well, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like piecing together like the Kennedy assassination. Like, <laughs> when did it go wrong? <laughs> or, or like a, a drunken night with friends. Where mm-hmm. Everyone's like, oh, and, and then you did this? And then do you remember saying this? And then you guys are the, one, the only ones who think that's funny. It's never right. funny for people who weren't also yeah. there at that night. And you know what sucks? Do you remember when we ran into fucking, uh, you know, <laughs> to Tom at the, at the, the, you know, the kismet? <laughs> you, know, you know what sucks? Is when... Like three or four of your friends all got yes. drunk together or whatever, yep. and they're all reminiscing about the night, and they think it's the funniest thing in the world. Yep. And you have to just sit there and like laugh along with them, That's even happening. though in your brain you're like, "I wasn't there." This so story, it doesn't matter. This story sucks. That's happened to me more times than I can count. Yeah, yeah. and it it is a bummer. But then you have to just be like, "Okay, stop," because if you say anything about this, you're like a dick. <laughs> because <laughs> hey, guys, all eyes on me. Hey guys, uh, I wasn't there, so let's dial this Fuck back you. for a little bit. Let's no more of uh, this story, please. You know, yeah. So that, it'll happen sometimes. It does. It does. It's happened to me before, uh, especially when I wasn't able to go out that first summer after college. That's right. And I'd hear That's like right. all the time, you guys would be telling stories about like yeah. how drunk y'all were. And I was like, oh, sounds fun. I was working like a midnight shift <laughs> at a movie theater with teenagers. <laughs> Not drunk. Surprisingly not drunk. Oh, yeah. Well, like maybe could have helped you get That's through That's what I'm that. saying. That's yeah. why I'm... Su- I feel like most people under those circumstances would have succumbed yeah. to like some sort of substance abuse. <laughs> I know. I know. Like would have like at least become a stoner or, or, or a drunk. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I didn't I didn't turn to substances to help even though they would have. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I need to be really quick. Okay. Filibuster. All right. Filibuster. Um, what can I filibuster about? Yeah, I'm... I'm looking at um, out my window from my third floor room in the house, and I see Manchester's historic mill buildings. Um, there was a period, I believe, in the late 1800s when Manchester, New Hampshire, fun fact for you listeners, was um, I think it was either the second most like like biggest mill town in terms of textile mills in the country. Or was second only to London, England. And I think that the claim to fame for Manchester is that it actually surpassed London for like a period in the 1800s. So don't quote me on that. But having grown up in Manchester, that's like the pride of of this city. Is that we have like textile mills along the Merrimack. And the Merrimack was once so wretchedly polluted that you could like light a fire on it. That's one of my favorite fun facts about the Merrimack River is that... Yeah, you can literally light a match on it. And I don't it would think stay you can lit. anymore. No, 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 no. You used to be able to though. Big shout to Mister Dufour. Um, or yeah, I think I think I learned it. Neanderthals. Neanderthal. Big shout to that guy. I hope he's still kicking I th- and like uh, teaching. I, you know what? He crafting young minds. Kind of reminds me of Coach K. 
Mike Shashevsky. Yeah. Uh, where just like black hair, even though you're like 75 years old. Black hair and like not a lot of it, but right. and, like combed completely yeah. over. Yeah. Just an, like an interesting looking dude. Very nice. Really good teacher. Um, I, remember, I remember when he taught us the lesson about Neanderthals. One time he dropped a rock. Like, did he do that in your class oh, yeah. too? Oh, yeah. Drop the rock and it startles yep. everyone. Yep. You know that that was that dude's Christmas every fucking year. <laughs> He's like, today I get to drop the rock. Honey. Today I wake up like the kid who came to school stoned. <laughs> right, right. And I get to like startle him awake. <laughs> yeah, that's hey, world cultures, big shout. So you're gonna have to actually, Sean, listen to this episode in its entirety to get to the end and listen to my my riveting a little history lesson, yeah, a little history, history lesson. bites. Yeah, about that, it was a history bite. History bites about Manchester's historic mill yard. Yeah, just you know, sort of just a great town. Yeah, it is. All right, let's dive in. It's it's middling at, at best. I, I like Manchester. It's a it's a nice little city. I don't I don't have any qualms with it. All yeah, right, but I'm ready. I'm just used to it. Wait, Sean, um, before yeah. we dive in, do you want? More history on no, Manchester. No, no, save that for... And when it was incorporated? No, save that. I think that was in the 1860s. Save that. 1880s. Save that. I don't know when. Okay. Uh, ready? Uh, yeah. Three, two, one...